Welcome to Policy Pod, P-O-R-F podcast. The Ideas Factory is an exclusive series by ORF that delves into the big geopolitical events that affect India and the world. Hello and welcome to the Ideas Factory. I'm Nagma. Joining me is Professor Harsh Pant. This week, there were two big geopolitical events that shook up the world. One was the killing of Ayman al-Zawahiri in Kabul itself. And the second, U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan and China being very, very aggressive and unhappy about that visit. We will look at that, but we'll also look at the Maldivian president's visit to um, India. Uh, but let's start with Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan first. Uh, Pelosi's visit caused a geopolitical storm in a way, Hajj. And it looked like this region could be another global flashpoint, just like we see, saw sometime back in Ukraine and Russia, because we've already seen two very strong camps emerging. The G7 countries criticizing China's uh, behavior, China's reaction, and Russia coming in support of China. Uh, the question that arises is Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan. What was the purpose right now? Because America maintains a stand that it believes and it stands by the one China policy. So the official statement is sticking to the one China policy, yet Nancy Pelosi visits Taiwan. So what was really U.S. trying to signal? What did U.S. achieve rather than, uh, I mean, except ratcheting up the tension already in a very tense U.S.-China relationship? Well, I think, uh, you know, um, U.S. perhaps um, could have managed this uh, visit better. But the reality is that as the great power contest between U.S. and China in is intensifying, the wheels are coming off uh, the, uh, you know, U.S.'s long-standing Taiwan policy. I think it is becoming unsustainable. The contradictions are becoming clearer by the day. And what Pelosi uh, highlighted was that if America really wants to stand up to Taiwan, it will have to pay some costs. It can't be that cost-free argument that, look, we want to support Taiwan, but we also uh, want to adhere to one-China policy. We also want to maintain its relations with China without antagonizing China on this question. I think uh, the last time this crisis happened, it was 1995, uh, the Taiwan Straits crisis. And at that particular point in time, it was a different world altogether. It was a different China altogether. Uh, today, China is willing to push back on this question and at least making a big deal about it uh, and making it very clear that uh, certain red lines have been breached. Now, the question is uh, whose red lines have been breached and how going forward uh, can uh, US and China come to terms with each other or find another uh, modus vivendi with each other because the, the previous equilibrium is, is shattering. And that is, I think, the real challenge because that equilibrium, the pretense of, of a Taiwan policy uh, that, that America had uh, at least gave the region some semblance of stability. I think as the two sides are competing against each other more and more uh, across domains and ever more so sharply, I think the challenge for America is what to do with Taiwan. The challenge for Taiwan is how to preserve its independence. And the challenge for China is how to push back. Uh, and for the challenge for everyone else is how, to, how do you ensure that amidst this kind of contestation, uh, you have, uh, uh, you know, um, you can maintain peace and stability in the Indo-Pacific. So amongst several other things that are happening in the Indo-Pacific, Taiwan is now becoming one of the biggest flashpoints. So how do you see this tension playing out in the region? Do you see, uh, you know, China has been firing the Dongfeng missiles. 
China has surrounded Taiwan uh, and is carrying out its military drill, which is uh, said to be one of the biggest military drills ever uh, that China has conducted in the region. It's surrounding Taiwan uh, at six points and also, uh, you know, economic blockade. So what kind of action do you think China could take? But it's also about a lot of ego as far as China and America are concerned. So Pelosi visited America. Now uh, it's almost expected or it's assumed that China will do something. So what kind of possible retaliation uh, can we expect out of China other than sanctioning Taiwan or, or Taiwan would probably be the only one who will bear the brunt of Nancy Pelosi's uh, visit and what kind of instability in the region? Well, I think, uh, unfortunately, uh, it will be Taiwan that will bear uh, a lot of this brunt. Uh, but look, this is also very important for Taiwan. And Taiwan is willing to play that, uh, uh, is willing to bear those costs because it shows uh, that the world's largest democracy, the world's most powerful military power uh, in, in the world is, uh, is now standing up. Uh, with with Taiwan, so they are willing to showcase Pelosi's visit. They are willing to welcome Pelosi, uh, and they are will welcome to make a big deal about it, and, and which is in their interests. Taiwan's uh, isolation in the global affairs uh, has been uh, something that Taiwan has been taking for granted. Now this is a moment for Taiwan to push back in its own way. So uh, you know, uh, in in some ways, uh, what Taiwan is doing is understandable, uh, and therefore uh, the the question now is. Uh, whether other countries will enter into this, uh, you know, in, into this uh, uh, posturing, because we have seen the G7 communique, we have seen the G7 statement where, where they are asking stability to be maintained, uh, and the onus is clearly on China. Now, China, uh, uh, by raising the rhetoric so much around Pelosi's visit, had to do something. Uh, you know, uh, six months back, also we had seen one congressional visit. And nothing much was made out of it. But today, uh, maybe it was Pelosi's personality, Pelosi's anti-China, uh, you know, baggage that she carries. Perhaps that was what irritated uh, uh, Beijing. Perhaps it was the position that she holds, the speaker. Whatever it was, China, China raised the stakes so much that uh, they had to uh, do these, uh, you know, life uh, fire drills. They had to show to Taiwan that. Uh, uh, something dramatic uh, has happened and then that they are not willing to take it lying down. Now the question is going forward from here. How, uh, you know, what is the next stage in, 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 in um, uh, Taiwan's uh, engagement with the world? And what is the next stage in the way the Indo-Pacific reacts to that? Because let's remember that this is happening at the very heart of the Indo-Pacific. This is happening in a theater which is already very contested. This is happening in a theater where multiple power alignments are emerging. Uh, and as you mentioned uh, at the very beginning, we are increasingly looking at Russia, China, uh, coming together and 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 the democracies, uh, especially the Western democracies, speaking in one voice on a range of issues. So this polarization uh, that is happening in 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 global affairs is going to have a great bearing on the Taiwan question. Uh, and therefore, for Taiwan, uh, this is perhaps a moment of reckoning and perhaps a moment where they look uh, at the rest of the world and also uh, look for greater support from a large part of the world, which uh, which uh, they may or may not get. Because uh, let's remember that uh, most countries in the world continue to follow uh, one China policy. They are not changing that policy anytime soon. Absolutely. Looking at Taiwan's economic significance, the question also is, uh, can US and China really afford to raise the rhetoric further or go further and be more aggressive uh, 
uh, here because uh, you know Taiwan is a small country, but Taiwan's economic significance is huge for the world in terms of semiconductors, in terms of electronic equipment, so all that. But uh, another uh, issue that was very very big harsh uh, this week was Zawahiri's killing. Uh, MN Al Zawahiri, the Al Qaeda head, who was in Kabul, and he was killed right there by a U.S. missile. He was actually in a house which was registered in the name of the Haqqani Network, and Sirajuddin Haqqani is a government in this Taliban, uh, uh, in the new Taliban government. So, uh, how will this play out, and how does it reflect? I mean. In terms of further alienation, this government, of course, has not got any recognition from countries. But uh, Zawahiri was hiding there. So, in uh, as far as that is concerned, has uh, the Taliban government breached the Doha Accord, or as the Taliban government is accusing U.S., has the U.S. breached any international agreement? How do you see this? Well, I think this makes uh, life a little bit more difficult for Taliban. Uh, you know, um, we are hearing uh, claims that they did not really know that uh, that uh, Zawahiri was there in the very heart of Kabul. Um, but clearly, now they are trying to um, you know um, uh, make the best of the of situation that they have landed themselves into. Uh, you know, this is this is a charade that that Taliban have been playing on the world for a very long time, uh, and and uh, you know, commitments after commitments after commitments, none of these commitments they have they have been able to fulfill. So it's very unlikely that, and it was always very unlikely that that they would break with Al Qaeda the way uh, some were suggesting that that they are promising, uh, and then they they did promise during the during the several rounds of negotiation that they had with the Western world. But I think this this uh, what what in some ways, uh, this strike does, and this killing underscores, is that America continues to have its eyes on Afghanistan. That uh, you know that they are not taking eyes off the ball when it comes to what Taliban may or may not be doing in Afghanistan. So I think that this puts Taliban under pressure. Uh, this this makes them realize that uh, that recognition of any kind is not going to come uh, very soon. Even a country like India, that uh, to which uh, they have been making several overtures in the last few months, uh, it will be very wary of, of you know this this uh, you know once again uh, of any kind of substantive engagement. Although uh, humanitarian engagement certainly will happen and should happen, given the uh, problems that the ordinary Afghans are facing. But I think this idea that you can uh, you know uh, continue to shield some of the biggest. Uh, extremists and terrorists of the world and yet want the world to help you in normalizing uh, your diplomatic status. I think though there are big question marks now on that strategy and that is certainly not going to pan out. And the, the, what I think also America has done is to uh, re-enter uh, some strategic ambiguity in, 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 in their calculus. You know, when, when they had withdrawn, their uh, American credibility had really gone down. I think this has, in some ways, if you look at Taiwan crisis and this crisis, you see uh, American attempts at re you know, reinstating some of that lost credibility, because mm -hmm. for a large part of the world that you know who have who are America's partners and allies, uh, they were they have been wondering whether America has the strength, whether America has the appetite uh, to be in this game for a long time. America is signaling that. Uh, even when it push comes to shove, it will stand up. Uh, it, uh, you know, uh, ultimately, despite the differences between the executive and the legislature in the U.S., uh, the, the Pelosi's visit did happen. 
and American government stood by Pelosi. Uh, there, there was also uh, this Zawahiri killing is also a reminder uh, that America is, uh, is, is ensuring that its equities are preserved, its interests are protected, uh, that uh, any engagement with Al-Qaeda uh, by Taliban will not be countenanced. And so I think uh, this has been a better week for America uh, in, in yes. global affairs than they have seen in the past few so it de- months. It definitely, uh, it definitely affects uh, Biden's equity positively for these big actions. And yeah, um, yeah. but uh, to, and, to a uh, another, extent. yeah, a, a very quick question and your comment on what could be the potential downside consequences now if you look at Afghanistan and you know threats coming out of Afghanistan, looking at Taliban's uh, you know posturing after this killing. Well, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, I think uh, Taliban, uh, because Taliban have been following this this strategy of of uh, trying to reach out to the international community and making a big deal that look, uh, at least there is a humanitarian crisis and we need your help. Now the question is, international community or whatever uh, we make of the international community, their uh, commitment to Afghanistan depends on uh, depends on Taliban's behavior to a large extent. Now, uh, when you know we have seen from the very beginning, a lot of the assumptions have not been have not borne out. Uh, you know, uh, given that Taliban have been equally radical, they've been e- equally um, insensitive to to uh, women women's rights, uh, g- you know, gender rights, minority rights, etc. Now, the, here the question is: uh, now with this with this killing, what has come into stark relief is either the Taliban. Uh, you know, uh, if they didn't know what was happening in the very heart of uh, uh, Kabul, then uh, their competence as a governing structure is under question. And if they knew, then their intent is under question. So I think both uh, on both sides, we are, you know, I think Taliban has, uh, you know, has has been found wanting. And sure. perhaps this will shape the international community's attitude, uh, hopefully in the in the uh, in the near future, because this is uh, for Taliban increasingly. Uh, the international recognition has been an important part of the diplomatic agenda. After this, uh, I think it, it has been pushed back, uh, if, if not by, by a few years and at least by a few months. Sure. It has further alienated them from the international community. Um, another uh, significant uh, you know, event this week has been the Maldivian president's visit to India, Harsh. And uh, India has offered a $100 million credit line to Maldives. The if you look at the relationship or the emerging relationship between India and Maldives and also President uh, Ibrahim Soleil faces big challenges from pres- uh, ex-president Yamin, who's been very pro-China and has been pushing the pro-China policy. Uh, how do you see the Indian India-Maldives relation emerging? Well, uh, I think um, in India has uh, has been quite proactive in, in wooing the Soli government. And, and of course, uh, President Soli has been... Uh, his India India first approach has yielded dividends when it when it comes to India Maldives relations. I think the challenge remains, as you point point out, that the domestic situation is very very volatile, and a number of uh, actors are uh, you know moving in dif- a number of pieces uh, are moving in different directions in in Maldives, and I think that is going to pose a big challenge uh, because India certainly would not like uh, that it it be seen as. Um, as someone who is just channeling all the diplomatic energies on one individual. Indian approach to its neighborhood has been people-centric rather than elite-centric. 
uh, and therefore a lot of the developmental projects that india is doing in maldives uh, are are underscoring this reality or at least india is trying to underscore this reality that ultimately india's engagement is for the larger uh, in- exercise of of helping maldives connect uh, amongst uh, its its uh, you know various islands as we are doing the greater male project and uh, greater connectivity of maldives with the rest of the world uh, as well as helping in the developmental aspects with the social housing projects that india has initiated in maldives so i think the visit was very successful and visit was very well timed but i think the the challenges that maldives are facing are largely domestic in orientation and the domestic politi- politics of maldives will have to sort itself out sooner uh, if the uh, you know if the if most of the positive externalities of india maldives engagement are to be uh, fructified and a very quick comment on sri lanka the situation continues to be the same there are uh, uh, i mean as we speak apparently there is an all party uh, you know talk on an all party government and the economic situation is very dire of course there have been reports of human rights violation there have been reports of uh, the government being aggressive towards people and atrocities uh, Sri Lanka's situation continues to be more or less same and we do not really see any improvement there. Yes, unfortunately I think uh, we have not seen the the political class uh, again once again uh, making a uh, united effort because ultimately you know we have uh, you, know, you remember Nagma when we had talked last time the idea we, I think we, the, it was very difficult to foresee an improvement without a national consensus and that national consensus still eludes sri lanka because while everyone knows that what the challenges are uh, i think on the means there are a lot of differences and unless those differences are resolved i think it will be very hard task for the uh, for the politics of sri lanka to uh, for the polity of sri lanka to manage this crisis which is uh, i think uh, as we have discussed uh, economic but also political in nature and unfortunately there are many social socio economic fault lines in sri lanka which become uh, you know much more severe which become much more uh, exposed because of this crisis and that needs to be taken in mind as well so when you talk of human rights violations when you talk of uh, the the heavy handedness of the governmental machinery uh, i think one one has to be sensitive to these to these concerns that things can blow uh blow out of proportion things can get out of uh, hand very very quickly uh, in a country uh, which has which has just very till very recently been uh, riven with internal differences so i think it it is time for the political class in sri lanka to to take acknowledge this and take responsibility the political class is trying to manage a consensus on this but of course there is a very big challenge there thank you so much for that analysis harsh that's it uh, from us on this episode of the ideas factory to keep watching and thank you for being with us thank you for tuning in to policy pod the orf podcast please subscribe to our channel for updates on upcoming episodes